Rick is right about that. No, we could. Um, um, Don's in here today, so we need to start over. <laughs> yes, so that's why we can. <laughs> 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 no, we just, we just think it on you, Doug. We love you. We love you, Doug. We miss you. We miss you. That's why we mess it with you, because we love you. Um, Hi, Don. <laughs> Ryan, you started that. Oh, no, no, no. It started Wednesday night. I got it recorded. Oh, man. All right. Go to your Bible, please. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. So we're back, back there again. Lesson 6. Lesson 6 in your workbook. I want to thank Brother uh, Brett for a wonderful uh, lesson that he gave us to jumpstart the day. Really, really appreciate the good work and the growth he's made as a disciple. Really, really proud of you, brother. Really good. Uh, today, we are going to begin a new section in the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher. Now, if you thought the first part of this, of this sermon was challenging, <laughs> that was just a warm-up round. <laughs> Rick, we about, we about to get really challenged now, right? We're about to, if you thought the first uh, 16 verses, you know, made you squirm a little bit, that, that was nothing. We're about to really get into it now. We're about to really plow the field of our hearts. And that's what we're talking about this first part of the year. As we talk about uh, putting our hands to the plow, we're trying to plow the field of our heart before we move any further. And we're about to do that now for sure. So we're going to have us a word of prayer. And Ryan, would you mind lead us in a prayer, please, sir? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for all of our many blessings that you bestowed upon us. We are so thankful for this class that we can study, Father. We ask that you open our hearts and our minds that we may be fully prepared to receive your word, that we may apply it to our lives, that we may be that bright and shining light that you'd have us to be in the valley here, Father. We ask that you be with Sean as he delivers your message, that he has a ready remembrance of the things which he has prepared. Father, we ask that you be with all the teachers this morning and that you be with them and the students. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Brian. Okay, so the Sermon on the Mount, and this is a point that I should have made earlier in the, in the quarter, but the Sermon on the Mount has been commonly called the Constitution for Christianity. The Constitution for Christianity. Why? Well, because it kind of just lays out really everything that a Christian is, is about, should be about. It lays the foundation. It gives us... Um, wisdom from God of how to live for Jesus every day. I mean, if you read the Sermon on the Mount every day of your life, which wouldn't take that long, man, what an impact that would make. I mean, this is really what we could call the Constitution of Christianity. Think about what we saw in the first few verses, the first 16 verses, and the first 12 verses that we studied. We, we spent several classes just looking at the kind of hearts we need to have. Jesus talks about these qualities that we need to have in our hearts and how the world will respond to us if we have these qualities. And then last class, in verses 13 through 16, Jesus challenges us to live lives of influence. He said, okay, you, you got to start with your heart. you got to make sure you have the kind of heart that I'm looking for. But then that should impact the world. You and I have to be people of influence. We have to strive every day to influence this world in a very positive way. Got to be salt. 
we got to be light. So that's what we saw in just the first 16 verses. Now today, we're going to find what is an interesting contrast to everything we've talked about so far. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 17, Jesus is really about to lay it out. And he is about to just go right into some of the religious leaders of that day. And this is a very interesting thing to read here. So we're going to just work with about four verses today. But I think these four verses are going to give us a lot to think about. So we go with Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 17. And the scripture says, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, who should be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them, he should be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, we're going to start with verse 17 here. Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. You know, so often, as, especially as members of the Church of Christ, we really <coughs> use this verse often in a way that it was not originally intended to be used. So often when we go to verse 17, we use it to combat the religious folks who try to tell us that we need to keep the old law. You ever come across those people before? You ever come across people who say we got to keep the Ten Commandments, we got to keep the things that are found in the Law of Moses? And usually when we hear folks say that, in fact, I was raised by a man who made that argument constantly, the first thing we want to do is we want to go to this verse, verse 17, and we want to use this verse saying, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Read verse 17. Jesus says he didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. So we want to go to that verse. We want to make our case. And while that is a good use of the text, that's a good use of the text. Nothing wrong with using verse 17 to combat people who try to tell us that we're supposed to keep the old law. Let me also say that's not why Jesus originally said these words. Okay? Good use of the text. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not why Jesus originally said these words. Jesus, when he first said these words, was not intending to originally give us a bunch of ammunition to combat people who try to say we need to keep the old law. That's not why he originally said it. Instead, the reason why Jesus, in the context here, originally said these words is because he's trying to teach us how to treat the scriptures. He's trying to teach us how to handle the scriptures, how to read the scriptures, how to connect the scriptures to him. That's what he's talking about here. And so we go back to verse 17 again. Jesus said, and I want to get your thoughts on this now. Jesus says, he did not come. My translation says, verse 17, to abolish the law and the prophets. Now, in the, in the New Testament, especially, especially in the ministry of Jesus, the law and the prophets represent all the Old Testament. 
Old Testament represents the law of the prophets. So what does Jesus mean there? Now that's a question there that's in your workbook for you to think about. What did Jesus mean when he says he did not have come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them? Yes, Sister Shannon, start us off here. Sharon, says Shannon. <laughs> Sharon, start us off here, please, ma'am. Uh, well, when we were reading through this, it was an interesting interesting word choice, and it was a very good word choice because the word fulfill, in the, if you look it up in the dictionary, means to carry out, to bring to realization as a prophecy or promise, to perform or do as a duty, to satisfy as in requirements, or to bring to an end, to finish or complete as a period of time. Amen to all that. <laughs> I don't know how anybody going to top that. <laughs> no, 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 all that is, that's awesome. That is, that is totally excellent. In fact, there are a few key things you said there in that definition that, that we want to highlight here as we keep moving forward. But that's a good that's a good jump start there. Brother Don, yes sir. My lessons in this area has got two main points. One, the law says I'm going to do. And along with the doing is to show. Such as thou shalt not kill. He didn't abolish it. He explained it. Even down to the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And the other aspect of that that we, we often point to as a fulfillment is the law and the prophet says the Messiah is going to be thus. He did not set out to do that, but he did those things which the foreknowledge of God knew he would do. He did what he did because he wanted to, not because the law and the prophets said he would. I think about John 117 to go with what you're saying, Don. John 1.17, the scripture says, For the law, talking about the old law, was given through Moses. Grace and truth will realize or explain David through, Christ. through Jesus Christ. Yes. Jesus came and, and taught perfectly what the law was all about and how to <clears throat> live it and do it in the most perfect way, which he did not only through his teaching, but through the way he lived. So, John 117, I think, goes perfectly with exactly what you just said. Excellent. Uh, oh, yes, yes, Rick. I was going to say, it, it, in reading this, it, it makes you think that during that time there were some people that were thinking, though, that Jesus was there to abolish the law and the prophets because of the manner of his teaching. But I do think that that word fulfilled does raise two questions that we need to ask for our, ourselves today, and that is, does the law still have ramifications for the Christian today? Mm -hmm. And also, do we have a relationship still with the law? Mm -hmm. No. I think all those are good. In fact, that's something else I think we're going to talk about, Rick, this morning as we proceed. I think those are excellent questions. Uh, Brother Ryan and Brother Mike. So if he... I'm, I'm struggling. Just maybe, I don't know if it's a struggle or just thinking about it. Abolish and fulfill. Even if he fulfilled it, he ended it. Mm -hmm. And if he fulfilled it, didn't he make it better than what it was from the beginning? Because he, he instituted, if you abolish one or if you fulfill one, you have to start something else. Mm -hmm. Right? So, and in the, procedure, the following verses, you'll see that he reinstates a lot of it, but adds to it. Well, yeah, you know, if I can say something about that, Ryan. The law that came from God 
in a, it, the, the, the problem with it mainly was it couldn't provide forgiveness of right. sins in a complete way. But it was it was great because it came from who? God. It came from God. Right. And Paul makes that point in Romans. Mm -hmm. In Romans chapter seven, Paul's making that point that the law was good, and it did it did exactly what God intended it to do. But it had a purpose. And Jesus to bring accomplished to this point, right? Jesus accomplished his purpose. Right. So I'm going to say more about that in a second. Brother Mike, and then Don, then we move on. Go ahead, Mike. I think a, a Malachi comes to mind, and it's really twofold again. Malachi 3 says, So you will again distinguish between righteous and wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. That's speaking before when they went into captivity and mm -hmm. forward because he goes on in verse in chapter 4 and says he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and before that he talks about John coming and preparing the way of the man who will come and show you righteousness and not the righteousness of man yes and this is what the text we're going into is yes. that there is Absolutely done, yes, sir. One idea of this is eliminating and, and fulfilling is the sacrificial system. Do we do we offer sacrifices today? Don't need yes, to. we do. We, but it, you it, mean for it, forgiveness it, of sacrifice right. of self? Right. All of those that are under the law—the burnt offerings, the peace offerings, the grain offerings, the the, the drink offerings—everything that you read about in Leviticus. <laughs> never came to an end they were completed with his death and with his death and resurrection it nullified the need for any of that to continue mm -hmm. but we still offer sacrifices spiritual sacrifice that's wrong of yeah. ourselves yes without having those physical things to contend with he eliminated the physical and maintained the spiritual sharon you need to move on in Hebrews 7, uh, 18 and 19, for on the one hand there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofit unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember what the verse is, but it's talking about how the blood of bulls and goats nope. was not perfect. Yes. And it's, it's in that same section. You can't take an animal sacrifice. That, so blood is, you have to have blood to atone for sin. Mm -hmm. So the blood of an animal is not going to be perfect because an animal can't sin, which is why Christ is the perfect sacrifice. Yeah, and that just shows the seriousness of our sins. How serious they were that the animals couldn't do it. No, you, all y'all did some good, good stuff. I love it all. So, let's simplify it a little bit. Let's simplify this a little bit. Because I think all your comments are rich and, and very, very profitable. The idea of Jesus fulfilling the law is very simple. It just means He completes it. He completes it. He accomplishes the purpose of the law. He brings it to its destined end. It had a destined end. And Jesus says, I'm bringing it to its destined end. It was not intended to last forever. It had from... God's mind that goes to eternity. It had an end in mind. And Paul makes this point more than anyone else in the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says the law was to be a schoolmaster. It's supposed to be like something that's taking a little child to school. It's just bringing it where that child needs to go. That's what the law was designed to do. It, was, it did exactly what God intended. It was to bring the people of Israel 
bring people along so that when Jesus came, guess what they would be ready to do? The exact thing most of them didn't do, which was receive Him. That was the purpose of the law. It was to teach and prepare people to receive Jesus. What Jesus is saying here, this is the part we don't need to miss, is all the law is, it's about Him. The law is about Jesus. The whole Old Testament is about Jesus. So often we like to separate the Old Testament from Jesus. To do that is just foolishness. It's wrong. The Old Testament, the law included, is about Jesus. The first five books of the Bible, the law. Guess who came up with that law? Jesus did. He came up with the Sabbath, the Ten Commandments, all of it. He was with them through the Red Seas. They came out of Egypt. He was there in the beginning creating the world. It's all about Jesus. The book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is about Jesus. It foreshadowed what Jesus was going to do when He brings us into the promised land. The, the times when Israel's wandering in the wilderness, the manna that comes from, that comes from heaven, their captivity, their restoration, all of that is about Jesus. It connects to Jesus. Even the books of the prophets. What are the prophets talking about mostly in their prophecies? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill the law. To bring it to an end. To bring it to its destined end. Now in verse 18. He further emphasizes this in verse 18. Going back to Matthew 5 and verse 18, Jesus further emphasizes this when he talks about the smallest letter or stroke should I pass from the law to all is fulfilled. In this verse, Jesus is making a reference to the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet. Some of your translations may use the word jot. Anybody got a translation use the word jot? Okay. The smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet was jot. The smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet is jot comes from the Hebrew word Yod. For those of you familiar with Star Wars, you know what, what Yod is or Yoda. So Yod. And the stroke, some of your translations may use the word tittle. The stroke of the tittle was the smallest part of a letter. So the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Jot. And the smallest stroke of a letter is the tittle. And if you don't have that stroke just right on a Hebrew letter, guess what it does? It changes everything. It, can, it has big ramifications. And so what Jesus is saying here is all the law, every part of it pointed to Him. Going back to the stroke of the tittle, one writer said that the stroke of the tittle was the seraph that distinguished certain Hebrew consonants from one another. That's the idea there. And so all Jesus is saying there is every part of the law down to the smallest detail. Guess what? It's about Him. And it's significant. And it's all... Now that's actually going to get to the next part here. But that's exactly right. That's, that's actually going to be verse 19 coming up here. You're right, Rick. You're going to go to John 5, 39. We're not going there right now, Doug. i got to move us along here. But we can. We'll do it real quick for you, Doug. Since, since I love you so much. What, what point do you want to make there? What, what point do you want to make there, Doug? John 5, 39. You study the law and you think in them you have salvation, mm -hmm. but they teach me. Absolutely. In fact, there's another passage I want to go to in a second that's going to go with John 5, 39. Because Jesus makes this point. You just say it over and over again. Yeah. The whole thing's pointing to me. John 5.39 is really good. I actually am glad that you go there. 
John 5.39, Jesus there is, is trying to get the Jews to understand all of it is about me. It's all pointing to me and I came to fulfill it. I came to complete it. I came to bring it to its destined end. Here's the practical lesson we need to take away from this, I think. The practical lesson is, is we make a mistake as Christians if we just study the New Testament. We make a huge mistake. And this is something I see often with members of the Church of Christ. So often we just want to study the New Testament. You can't study the New Testament and understand Jesus properly without first understanding the Old Testament properly. The Old Testament helps us understand what the New Testament is saying. And so we make a huge mistake when we limit ourselves to the 27 books that make up the New Testament. Those first 39 books, guess what came from God? They came from the Holy Spirit. They are Scripture and they help us understand the New Testament better. If you want to understand who Jesus is at, it, at the fullest level, then study your Old Testament and your New Testament. Because both of those things together tell you who Jesus is, what He's about. And Jesus says over and over again, the Old Testament is all about me. It's all about me. It is this same idea that you find, and this kind of goes with what you were saying, Don. Luke 24. John 5.39, great text. And then in Luke 24, remember when Jesus started appearing to his disciples. And there was a time when he appeared to the apostles here after being raised from the dead. And in Luke 24, verse 44, in verse 44, he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things, notice that, all things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. That is a reference to the canon of the Old Testament. The law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be what? There it is. Fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What scriptures are you talking about there? Is he talking about Thessalonians and Galatians and 1 Corinthians? Or even the Gospels? No, those haven't been written yet. He's talking about the Old Testament. They need to understand the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament, he says, was about me and how I came to fulfill what it taught. So Jesus is saying, study your Old Testament. If you want to know me, study your Old Testament and study it very carefully because it testifies about me, it's all about me, it points to me, and I came to complete it. I came to bring it to its destiny. Sister Sharon, go right ahead, man. I'll take comments right here. Go right ahead. It's funny you should mention Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you was going to like that. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, but it, it kind of, it's a good way to draw a parallel because... Well, that's what that movie originally was designed, was doing. With, oh, with really? that. Yeah, he was trying to tie it to religious things. A lot of, oh, there was a lot of yeah. things in there he did like that. I mean, it makes sense because yeah. if you think about it, if you look at the original, you know, episodes 4, 5, and 6, that's essentially like a parallel to the New Testament. He they're did like, that on purpose. They're a lot more popular. But yeah. they, despite the fact that the... 
first part of the series, episodes 1, 2, and 3, are not nearly as popular, and they're kind of hard to get through, devastating at times. Yes. Um, <laughs> it makes the next part make a lot more sense. Yes. And it does, you, you go, oh. There's your Star Wars lesson today. Just <laughs> <laughs> And everybody's going to watch Star Wars today. And waste your life, but that's another story. Uh, but, uh, yes, Brother Rick. You say the Old Testament still does present some ethical concepts. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the applicability of that moral law of God, I think that's what Jesus is going to emphasize. That God didn't do away with that. No. It's still wrong to murder, still wrong to disobey your parents. That's so in the terms of fulfillment, it's still... Yes. Yeah. Well, no, that's, that's, that's what I said. He added to it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he made it... Well, he, it, well, the thing, and I think we're going to see this, Ryan, we're about to get into this, a lot of the problems Jesus had wasn't anything to do with the law not mm -hmm. being good enough. It was how the religious leaders perverted it. Mm -hmm. that's right. And that's what he means when he says, you've heard that it was said. He's taking a shot at them. Yeah. They perverted it. But in the beginning. Yes, but I'm going to tell you what God's will really is concerning mm -hmm. this matter. So let's go to verse 19 now as we move along here. Back to Matthew 5, 19. Because notice, I mean, we look at, we're looking at four verses. Look how loaded they are. Now, in verse 19, he talks about annulling one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same. You're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever keeps and teaches them should be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here in this verse, you have a warning. So Jesus talks, he's talked to us about how all the law points to him. And he came to bring it to its completion. But he gives a warning. Here's the warning. The warning is against relaxing any part of God's commandments relaxing any parts of God's commandments and teaching other people to relax any parts of God's commandments. Now, here's a thought here. This may be an answer to an accusation that was made against Jesus. There probably were people at this time, especially the religious leaders who thought Jesus came to relax the law. And let me tell you, let me explain it to you. This is going to tie to our lesson today and this is something I beg you that you really try to get grasped in your mind firmly to understand a lot of Jesus' teachings. The Pharisees and the scribes hated Jesus, and Jesus didn't hate them, but he did hate their ways. He hated their ways. And one of the problems they had, we have to be careful of this, is their traditions and their rules and their man-made regulations. They put that up there with God's law. They really did. <coughs> And when you didn't do what they said as far as their traditions go, well, in their mind, you're relaxing God's law. You're relaxing it. You're not being strict, as strict and rigid as, as you should be. And Jesus is making it clear to these people, I'm not like that. Whatever word on the street you may have been hearing about me, I didn't come to relax any parts of God's law. Now, I'll relax these traditions all day because they're not God's law. But I didn't come to relax God's law. He's clearing up confusion probably. Notice what he says in the text. The least, the least, don't forsake the least, he says, of the commandments. What does that mean? Even the parts that we might not think are a big deal, Jesus says they're a big deal. <laughs> it's all a big deal. Every part of it. And when you look at the scribes and the Pharisees, they may have been a, appeared to be so conservative. The truth is they were You look at Matthew 23, Jesus talks about how, you know, they would try to 
uh, you know, tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and all that stuff, but they neglected the what? The things like grace and love, things like that. And Jesus said you need to do these things they're saying, but don't neglect the other stuff. Jesus is basically saying they're not conservative enough. They're not doing everything God said. And, and so Jesus here is making the point that when it comes to God's commandments, it's all important. Every part of it, we need to take it all seriously. We need to do it all. Every single part of it. That's what the Lord is saying there in the text. Yes, sir, Brother Dunn. Is, is this also a rebuttal to the, the rabbi's school of Hillel being the, the spiritual side of that? Looking at the law and then the other side of the coin is figuring out how to get around the law. That's another because thing. they were famous. That's another thing. That's that's actually part of the quote-unquote righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Yeah, okay. I, I want to get into that in just a second. Because right. it's absolutely right. Finding loopholes. Trying to find loopholes. Yeah. Brother Don, you're right on the money with that. That was, that again shows how hypocritical these mm -hmm. men were. They wanted to wiggle out of the things God said while at the same time trying to bind on people the things that they said. That they didn't come from God. So, so that, that's excellent. That brings us to the next verse here. Verse 20. Verse 20. And I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here that's coming from your workbook. So just be ready for that in just a minute or so. In verse 20, after Jesus says, you know, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you better make sure you do everything God says. No part is unimportant. And then he says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness. Now remember I told you, this is the key verse in the sermon. This is it right here. It's all about unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, we got to dig a little bit to understand what that verse means. The people of that day didn't have to dig as much because they could see the scribes and the Pharisees and they knew who they were. They knew them by name. And those men, a lot of them are in the audience as Jesus is preaching on this occasion. And so here Jesus is talking about we're going to put it in quotes. Righteousness. The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. The point the Lord is making here is their quote-unquote righteousness. It really wasn't righteousness at all. It wasn't righteousness at all. It wasn't the kind that was going to lead you to heaven. It wasn't the kind that was going to lead you to favor with God. Now here's my question, and, and maybe you've thought about this ahead of time. I submit that this was a radical accusation Jesus makes here. It's a radical thing for him to tell these people that you got to be better than these guys. Your righteousness has to be better than these guys. And they got their phylacteries on and, you know, they're holding the scriptures and they pray these long prayers and they know the Bible like that. And all they do, you walk down the street and you find these rabbis talking about the Bible all day long. That's all these guys did. And Jesus says, your righteousness has to exceed theirs. So why would why do you think that's so radical? Like, why is that a radical accusation? Go ahead, Mike. Well, I'm going to preface it a little bit. We go back and look at the story, and you talked about it last week, about Jesus being and challenging those in the temple. This is not new to Jesus. He's already been spending his life sitting in the, this synagogue, sitting at the temple, listening to these men teach and going, Dudes! You are so far off, uh, you don't even have a clue. Yes. I can't wait to get started. Yes. When you said he picked the book of Isaiah, and that wasn't, that was, 
I know exactly where I'm going. I know where I'm turning to. He probably turned it faster than anybody in there. And he spread it, looked at him, straightened the eye, and sat down. Yes. yes. And now he comes out and he says, now I want to tell you something. Yeah. The Pharisees, through these years, have led you astray. Mm -hmm. The scribes have got it wrong. Mm -hmm. The Levites that are serving aren't doing it properly. I've already observed You've heard it before, and now I'm going to tell you. Yes. <coughs> no, good thoughts, Mike. That's good. Any, yes, Michelle. Jesus thought they were hypocrites. That's what he said. And he, they considered themselves to be the law, mm -hmm. rather than the Bible being the law. They had made themselves into, in a sense, maybe, little g-gods. Mm -hmm. I think exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yes, exactly. Where everybody's looking to them because one of the things that history tells us that was going on at this time is people were quoting rabbis more than they were quoting scripture. Mm -hmm. Rabbi so-and-so said this. Rabbi so-and-so said that. Yeah. Um, you remember Gamaliel who's mentioned in Acts who actually said something very wise when they were persecuting the apostles. He said, let's leave these guys alone because if they're not coming from God, this thing's going to fizzle out right. and die anyway. That's actually a wise thing. But Gamaliel was one of the most respected rabbis of the ancient world. In fact, some, uh, I think Josephus puts in his writings that among the Jews, when Gamaliel died, many people thought that part of God's law had died. That's how highly respected Gamaliel was. How ridiculous that is. I don't care what preacher, we, I've met a lot of great preachers in my life, but whenever any of them died, God's law is going to die based on them. No. They're just men. And the same is true of elders or deacons. Why is nothing wrong with high, or put these men in, in, in high esteem? They're just men. They're not God. And we, don't need to, we need to avoid putting men as little g-gods, which is what was going on at this time. Sharon and then Ryan and then Rick has something to say. I don't think it was only that Jesus was what he was saying this uh, you know saying that the scribes and Pharisees saying that they weren't righteous I don't think it was just that that was radical it was just the notion of speaking out against them <laughs> yeah, because yes. the people had used the scribes and the Pharisees as an intermediary much the way a lot of denominations especially Catholicism like the Catholics believe you have to go into the church building in order to commune with God, in order yes. to pray. They believe that you have to go through a priest in confess order your to, sins to, to the confess priest. your yes. sins yep. and that you have to pay for it and that sort of thing. And so the notion of, of rebelling or speaking against them would be like, well, you know, they're the authority, they're the, you know, the, the caretakers of the scripture, but they're also celebrity figures. Mm, a big and time. They, they hold a lot of political and social influence. Oh, I like the idea of political and social influence. They carried a lot of weight. And that's a big deal. Remember that when you get to Acts, how arrogant they are when the apostles stand before them. You can just imagine them sitting at a table like, yeah, you before the, the main guys. We're going to put this movement out. And that's the attitude they carried with them. They really did. That's a good point. Right. And then, Rick, then we got to move on. So if, if our righteousness is to surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees, and we've already determined that it was fake and hypocritical, I mean, it shouldn't take much more than the faith that we have, right? <laughs> well, well and, we, so and, the, and, and if we think like that, then we're definitely not surpassing their righteousness. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you, you saw me weekend. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so I want to read 6 verse 1. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men 
not to be noticed by them, otherwise you will have no reward. Mm -hmm. So I think somebody said something to the fact of that. I don't know if it was you or Rick in the beginning of all this. Like, Can I say something just really like yes, um, simply because I think we're missing kind of the simplicity of what's going on. Yes, go ahead, Alice. Please. It's like um, he's basically telling them that I feel like he's telling them that Judaism is not going to be the um, the faith anymore, and he's saying that unless you surpass them, like unless you become a Christian after I die, because he's talking about fulfilling um, that. None of this is going to pass away. So, like, right now, while he is speaking to them, the law is the law. Like, Judaism is the way. So, like, if you were to die outside of Judaism at that time, you're lost because you're not a part of the faith. And so he's trying to say, like, you, we're not, I'm not here to, to abolish the law yet. Like, or to, you know, get rid of the law yet because I haven't died yet. Not all is accomplished. And he's about to die. And then, um, so then they have their sitting, he's saying, okay, you have to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. In other words, you have to be a Christian. You know That's what Alice said? Exceeding the scribes and the Pharisees. I think, I think what you're saying, Allison, definitely ties to it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go against that. Uh, and I think Jesus teaches that in other places when he talks about old, uh, putting an old patch on an old garment, talking about something new coming. I do think what you're saying there has some legitimacy, Allison. I'm not disagreeing with that. Uh, in fact, if anybody resisted Christianity at a high level, it would have been the scribes and the Pharisees. Yeah. So we'll see that when we get to Acts. So, but to go along with what you're saying, if you don't mind, because I think your point needs to be well taken. Okay? I also think that as we continue in this context, I like how you're trying to stay in the context. That's a good Bible study. And I think as we continue in the context here, Jesus is going to get even more specific as to some, even some problems these guys had when it came to the law that was enforced at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we're going to see that. So I want to put that thought with your thought. And I think when we do that, we're going to get a good picture. We're going to get a good, good picture of what's going on. So thank you. Brother Rick, and then I got to get moving, guys. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think they, they lost what Jeremiah the prophet had said when he said, through the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jesus. Going with Allison. And later he says, I will put my law mm -hmm. within their hearts and I will be their God. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Yes. Right now, I think we're seeing... They, and they didn't have it in the heart. Yes. Yeah, they didn't have it in the heart. And that's why I was saying, that's why, I mean, this is why I like this. I like when I get to hear from God's people. I love hearing from God's people because I was telling Janice in the car the other day when we was driving somewhere. I was like, one of the things I love about getting to hear you talk is I see y'all have some great things to say. Sometimes I just need to shut up and listen to y'all. I learn, <laughs> I learn from y'all. You have just great comments, and I and and I think when you put what Allison said with Ryan and Rick, we got some good stuff here. We got some good stuff. So let me just give you some thoughts here. So I only got about five minutes. I want to just give you some things just to jot down. To go with everything you've heard so far, but I think here are some problems with the righteousness of these men. Okay, one and Ryan, I, Ryan, you hit it. You, you hit it before I could get to it. It's Matthew six one and two. It was merely external. It was these men, you know, while they you know they tried to teach God's word and, and do those things, they only cared about what people thought about them. 
So that's why they led the long prayers. And why they had all these religious debates in front of people and dressed the way they dressed is because they cared solely that people looked at them and said, Oh, look at how religious they are. Look at how much they know about the Bible. Those are holy men of God. Jesus in Matthew 6 is making that point very clear. So if you want to be better than the scribes and the Pharisees in the eyes of God, make sure when you do things, it's coming from the right place. This is not saying it is a sin for our brother, whoever is going to be to get up and lead us in a prayer today, because we have men lead us in prayer every Sunday, don't we? Every Wednesday. We had Rogers lead us in a prayer a few minutes ago. Was he, is he sinned by doing that, saying a prayer in front of people? No, only if his heart was the thing about God first. You see? So we got to do things publicly sometimes, but God judges the heart. And if the heart is like, well, I want to sound so good before men, now we got a righteousness like the scribes and the Pharisees. And if we want to do better than them, it's got to be always about God. I don't care if it's a prayer, leading a song, preaching a sermon. It's always God first. Whenever, and I, I honestly have to honestly remind myself this always, when I get up there, to God be the glory. Not to men be the glory. Or to me be the glory. So don't make it be merely external. Number two, y'all made this point. It was hypocritical. These guys were hypocrites. I mean, and I'm not just saying that. Jesus said it. Jesus said it like seven or eight times in Matthew 23. Go read Matthew 23. Jesus constantly called these men hypocrites. In your Bible reading, in Luke chapter 6, as you're going to read next week, you're going to see they get on to Jesus about picking uh, him and his disciples, picking grains of he uh, the heads of grain in the grain field to eat. And Jesus called them hypocrites because they were trying to stop them from doing something that was lawful on the Sabbath. It's nothing wrong with taking the, the jar off the or, or the top off the peanut butter jar to eat. But they wouldn't condemn David, who did something that was unlawful when he ate bread that was only for the priests. These guys were hypocrites. And so Jesus condemns them for hypocrisy. And they tried, they taught things that they didn't do. Number three, they binded their traditions as though it was God's word. That's not righteousness from God. They did it with the Sabbath. They did it with hand washing. And Jesus condemned that nonsense. He condemned it over and over again. Number four, they didn't value all of God's laws. I, I quoted from Matthew 23. Remember 23 and 24. Jesus talks about how, you know, they, make a, they made a big deal about tithing, mint, and dill, and cumin, but neglected love, mercy. Jesus says, do this stuff and do that stuff too. So they weren't as conservative as we try to give them credit for. They didn't value all of God's law. And going back to Matthew 5 and verse 19, what did Jesus tell us? Value all of God's law. Don't neglect even the least of the commandments, which they were doing. And number five, going back to what Don said, they looked for loopholes. They wanted to wiggle out of things, try to find loopholes to get out of things that they didn't want to do. You're going to see that clearly as you proceed in Matthew 5. Oh, adultery is wrong, but we can look at lust. You see? That's trying to find a loophole. Uh, and in Matthew 15, 1 through 9. Matthew 15, 1 through 9. Jesus says that they would make a big deal about washing your hands according to the tradition of the elders. But when their parents needed help, you know what they would do? Oh, I can't help my parents. I, I've dedicated this money to God. I found a loophole to get around honoring my parents. Well, they really didn't. But that's what they tried to do. 
So you want to have a righteousness that exceeds theirs. Don't be hypocritical. Don't be merely external. Don't bind traditions as though it's God's word. Value all of God's law. Don't look for loopholes. You know, Allison made a great point about the law. And you're right, Allison. The, the law is going to be replaced with the covenant of Jesus. But these guys, they didn't even do even a close of doing a good job keeping the old law. They're a bunch of hypocrites. And so here, just real quick, just give me one minute real quick. Jot these things down as far as application goes. Number one, from Jesus here in this part, we learn that we can learn lessons from wicked people. We can learn some good lessons from wicked people, can't we? These are some wicked men. These are the men who would kill Jesus, by the way. It doesn't get much, wicked, much more wicked than that. But Jesus said, learn from these guys. Learn how to not be like them. Learn how to not please God by looking at them. So you can learn some things by looking at wicked people. Number two, and we've already emphasized this, do your best every day to do everything God says. Obey all His Word. Obey it all. Don't relax any of it. I don't care if we're talking about love, grace, worship, prayer. Do it all. Jesus said that leads to greatness in God's kingdom. And number three, here's the most important one. We can't fool God. These men were fooling the people, wasn't they? They thought they were so righteous. Oh, look at, look at that rabbi over there. And God knew their hearts. He knew they were wicked. And you know, that's the main reason why they didn't like Jesus. Because he exposed their hearts to the people. Now today we're going to gather and we're going to worship. And I don't know what's going on in your heart. You don't know what's going on in my heart. But God knows what's going on in all our hearts. And let's concern ourselves first and foremost always with what God knows. Because He's the one who's going to judge us. And that's what we see going on here with Jesus. Y'all did awesome today. I learned a lot from you. And I hope you've been enjoying the class so far. We're going to pick up with the first example Jesus is going to give of how these men were abusing God's law on Wednesday, Lord willing. And just to give you a hint what we're going to talk about, don't come to the class angry. We're going to talk about, <laughs> we're going to talk about some angry.